So I would say the majority of the time um, when you ask people what they want out of life, right? Um, what would you like to get out of life? A lot of people, maybe half the people that you would encounter will say they just, they just wanna be happy, right? Um, however, that's really difficult in our world, isn't it? You can be happy at, you know, for moments at a time, but it's really, really hard to stay happy because of all the things that are going on. And, you know, if it's not the pandemic, it's, uh, you know, a series of tornadoes that rip through the center of the country and take the lives of, I, I guess, upwards of 50 to 100 people now. Um, and, of course, all those people that lost their homes and their businesses and so forth. And we want to be in prayer for that. So it would be easy just to skip over the joy candle and say, well, you know, that just uh, doesn't seem to work out so well. But what I would like you to understand is that it is possible, even when we can't remain happy in the conventional sense of the term, it's possible to have a deep sense of joy, a, a well of joy that you draw from, even when you're sad, even when you're, uh, if you've lost somebody this holiday season, uh, it is possible to have joy even in the midst of tragedy. So let's uh, let's talk about that. First of all, uh, if you're following along in the outline and you want to kind of write these thoughts down, um, I've structured this a little differently today uh, so that uh, there's a bit of a fill in there, but there's uh, some space for you to write some of these other things down as they strike you as relevant. Um, so what could we call joy? Well, uh, actually a couple of months ago, I preached a sermon on joy on the heels of uh, Baylor winning the NCAA championship. Now you might say, oh, well, that's happiness. But if you were here, you understood that their entire program, the coach who is a Christian, has centered it around joy. And that means what we're gonna talk about today, but it's also uh, an acronym that means putting your life in correct priority order, right? You put Jesus first, then what? Then others, and then who? Yourself. And when we have those correct priorities, we are more apt to have joy. But you know, it's not necessarily the case. You can live with those priorities and still be kind of a grumpy person because you're, you're kind of doing it as the result of uh, some sort of a, a sense of duty or obligation. But um, the, the first question there, what could we call joy? Um, I would say first, First and foremost, joy for a reborn child of God is your birthright. That's, that's what God grants you if you have been reborn. Now, it's predicated on the idea that you have been reborn, right? That the Holy Spirit has come in because you have chosen to call Jesus Lord and given you a new birth. If you have that new birth, as we're going to see, then this becomes your birthright. So, Definition for joy, let's just call it sustainable happiness. How's that, right? Happiness by its nature, as you might have gathered from the introduction to this message, is circumstantial, right? It's based on what's going on around you, what you pay attention to, and whether that is something that is beneficial uh, to you and yours or not. But I would say that joy from the biblical perspective is indeed a sustainable happiness. Now, we perhaps would think of sadness as being the opposite of joy. No, sadness is the opposite of happiness. 
But I'm going to say to you, it is possible to be going through a period of sadness, for instance, if you lost a relative, and that's more difficult around the holidays, but to still have that well of joy that you're able to reach down to, because why? You know where that relative is. You know that that's not the end. You know that uh, that if this is the case, you know that that relative has called on the name of Jesus and is saved. And uh, as we often comfort one another in funerals with the statement, they're in a far better place. Well, I can't make that promise to everyone who has passed away, but I can make that promise on the basis of God's word to anyone who has passed away in the Lord, right? Um, what I would say is that, um, Perhaps something we would equate with sadness is depression, but depression is a bit different. You know, it's normal to be sad when there are circumstances surrounding us uh, that are, you know, challenging, that are tragic, right? It is normal to be sad. It, you know, if you have lost a relative or you know someone who's been hit with this tornado, then it makes sense for you to be experiencing sadness. But again, that doesn't mean you cannot have that deep well of joy that you can draw from because you know that God is going to take all of this that is bad and he is in the process of turning it into something good. So you see, it requires you to have faith, doesn't it? And rather than stumbling around by your feelings, we walk by faith. As the scripture says, we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, right? Um, depression, I think, is the absence of joy. I think that's why people go through these extended periods of depression, is because they're lacking joy in their life. Depression is related to despair, and despair is the absence of hope. So looking at our Advent candles over here to my right and your left, you remember the first candle that we lit was the hope candle, and it was based upon the promises of God's Word, First and foremost, that Jesus was coming into the world as a baby, what we celebrate at Christmas. And then for us, that Jesus is going to return and do what I just said the Bible promises, take everything that is bad and turn it into something that is good. Um, Depression weakens and robs us of energy. If you are going through a period of depression now, or if you have in the past, or you know someone who has, you know that they just... They don't even really want to do anything. They just don't even feel like getting out of bed. But the interesting thing is the scripture says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So there was a time when the people of Israel had returned to the land. This is that same time period we talked about a couple of months ago when I talked about rebuilding the temple and rebuilding our church in process. The people had returned and through that process of restoring the temple, they were also trying to worship correctly again. They looked at the law. They saw that they had broken the law so often in their history, and they didn't want to be like that anymore. They were in this process of, uh, of rededicating themselves to the Lord. They literally stood all day on their feet and listened to the Bible being read. I, you know, I wonder if we have that kind of commitment, that level of dedication, but that's what they did. And at the end of that time, they looked at where they had been and they began to weep and it was so difficult. But Nehemiah, who was helping them to rebuild, Ezra, who was helping them to rebuild, said, no, you, this is not the time for that because you are, you are repentant. 
You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yes, you've done some things and, and the people had done some things in the past that we regret and wish we hadn't. But that's when Nehemiah said, you know, uh, you know, drink what is sweet and, and eat what is wonderful for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so we're going through this period of Advent, which as I've mentioned in the history of the church, has always been a time of actually repentance and uh, you know, considering your actions and really a time of rededication. That's why when uh, we looked at the hope candle, I, I focused on Hanukkah because Hanukkah began on the same day as we lit the hope candle and Hanukkah is a celebration of or an observance of the rededication of the temple when uh, the people had seen it overrun by the pagan nations, by a godless culture. And again, this was another period in, in Israelite history, a little beyond the one that I just mentioned. The temple had already been rebuilt. They had already started worshiping properly, but then they gave in to the pressure from their culture and they began to turn away from Yahweh and turn away from worship and turn away from the temple. And the temple had been neglected to the point uh, where it was falling apart and it had been abandoned. And so so when they pushed away their foreign invaders and decided to turn back to their faith, they rededicated the temple. And they did that by lighting lights. And that's why they light the Hanukkah lights, right? So this is this period of rededication. And during that time, uh, the people would celebrate. And Hanukkah is a festival of lights. It is a time of celebration. Christmas is a time of celebration and happiness, a time of joy, which is why we lit the Gaudette candle today. And uh, thank you for Aiden for doing that for us today. And uh, we're looking at this prospect of having a joy that will energize us. And again, it's not about looking at your circumstances. It's about looking at God's promises. So Following with your outline, number two is what is keeping you from joy? Now, you may be a naturally joyous person. It's easy for you to rejoice. Some people are just, uh, they're just like that, we would say. Their temperament is positive, perhaps we would say. Um, but others of us, we're looking at the, the day in, day out, the drudgery, the, the challenges, the bad news and all of this, and it just really robs, of, robs us of our joy all the time. The scripture says that, uh, that the, the thief, that Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he definitely comes to steal your joy. Um, so almost everyone is happy at times, but happiness, again, is dependent upon favorable circumstances and it's dependent on cooperative people, right? If you have some uncooperative children in your house right now, it can rob you of joy. Joy is elusive for those who live in the flesh. So the answer to that question, what's keeping you from joy, is the flesh. Now, I wanna say again, when we talk about the flesh in a biblical context, we're not talking about your skin, right? We're not talking just about your humanity. We're talking about your fallen human nature, the natural self. We're living in a fallen world. That's why ultimately we see things like tornadoes and we see all of the tragedy and difficulty we have. It's a fallen world. It is separated from God and from his light and from his life and from his love. And we have to be reconnected through Jesus to that, to receive joy, to, re to have hope, right? Uh, last week to have peace, next week to have love that is, that is a true love, a, a real love and not just another feeling. But what keeps us from joy is our focus on the circumstantial, our focus on this world. 
Even Christians who would say they believe in heaven have a tendency to put so much focus and so much stock in this life that they never have any joy because they're never looking forward to that. They really, really uh, have a tendency to just uh, put blinders on and to look down rather than look up. So the flesh then is every human's fallen nature. It's me apart from thee, right? It's me apart from God. The flesh is dependent upon the world for its well-being. See, that's the problem. I'm reliant upon the world to make me feel good, to make me do good. I think, well, if I just have more money or, you know, if I just have a, a better car, if I just have, you know, a better house, if, you know, we just had a better church building or, uh, you know, if, if I had better people in my life, more positive people in my life. But see, that's all this circumstantial dependence upon the world. The flesh is attracted primarily to these things. It is attracted to power, it is attracted to pleasure, it is attracted to prosperity, and it is attracted to the propagation of itself, right? Power, pleasure, prosperity, and propagation of self. And if you find yourself moving in those directions, then you're walking in the flesh and not the spirit. The human spirit oftentimes is celebrated, you know, the, 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 the beauty of the human spirit and so forth, is actually imprisoned by, blinded by the flesh until it is set free. Now, I'm not trying to be Gnostic here. I'm not trying to be Platonist here. And I think you'll see what I mean when we continue to uncover this. Only Christ can liberate you from the bondage to sin and death that that is a part of the flesh and this world of sin. What does Romans 6.23 say? It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's God's gift. That's what he offers you. So we talk about Christmas, we talk about gift giving, God talk about receiving gifts. The greatest gift that you can receive is this gift of eternal life. But once you receive it, it's something that is real. It is something that is present as well as something that I put my hope in. So there is a now and a not yet that is a part of eternal life. It is on a continuum, if you will. Um, and that continuum causes me to be able to access life now. Number three, as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, joy is your new birthright. Only the Holy Spirit can transform you through his spiritual rebirth. Right? That's what uh, the scripture teaches us. It's all over scripture um, that uh, we receive the spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was a very religious man and uh, really a very righteous man in his, uh, in his day. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't even perceive. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Well, water is either natural birth or it is the symbol of natural or supernatural birth, which is baptism. It is the, the, the thing that I can do, right? Born of water and then born of the spirit. That's something I can't do. It's not possible for me to, you can be baptized, right? You have been born as in the first time, right? You know, ladies and, and men who are married and some of you who are not know that immediately preceding the birth of a child, the woman's what breaks? Yes, so this is not literal water, it's amniotic fluid, but the point is that's, that, that's what you're surrounded by the entire time you're developing as a fetus and a baby. 
and then the water breaks. So this could be the symbol of natural birth. You've got to be born, Jesus was saying, and you've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the Spirit. And that's something that happens when you call upon the name of Jesus and you open your heart. And we would say we invite Jesus to come into our heart, and that's fine, because all of the Godhead is present in every person, right? But the actual person of the Godhead that enters into you when you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who is bringing Jesus into your life. And really, what is born in you is very, very similar to what was uh, to Jesus' birth in the manger in Bethlehem. He was born as a, as a brand new person on this earth, even though he had lived long before that. He has always lived, not long. That, insinuates that at some point he came into existence. Uh, God is one, and Jesus has is been eternally begotten of the Father, has always been part of that Godhead, but he became one of us. Well, you have been in existence prior to your new birth, your rebirth, but then something happens. The Spirit of God comes into you, and he brings your spirit to life. He sets you free from the bondage of sin and death, and as the result, you have this fruit of the Spirit that is produced inside of you, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, there it is, peace, last week, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you notice that three of these candles are right there in the, in the fruit of the Spirit. That's your birthright. That's what you have in you. If you called on Jesus to be your Lord, you have this. You just need to start drawing from the well of salvation rather than allowing the world to distract you and keep your attention away from those things, right? So number four, joy is a result of your hope of eternal life. You see, that first candle has to be lit in you. You have to have hope or you're not going to have joy. Again, I'm not saying that you won't be happy at times. I'm not saying that there aren't people that are positive people and that are happy, but just look at the people that we have encountered in our culture who have seemed to be very, very happy, and then they commit suicide. Robin Williams comes to mind. And, you know, I'm not trying to jump all over his grave or anything like that, but that is a person that just seemed to be so happy and so positive. But we never know what's going on under the surface, do we? See, some of us wear our feelings on our face all the time. Do you do that? I know I did. That's why my mom slapped me a lot of times when I was younger. She slapped me in the face because I was wearing my displeasure. Um, yeah, that can get you in trouble. In fact, I would say things that, that I was thinking. Not, it's not wise to do that, but that's what I would do. But other people are very, very good at wearing the persona mask, the personality mask, and being recognizing that they're going to get ahead uh, if they are positive people. So we don't know what's going on underneath. But here's, here's what I want to say. Some of us have naturally uh, pouty faces. Some of us have naturally gruff faces. I had uh, difficult, challenging teeth for so many years, literally from the time when I lost my baby teeth and started getting adult teeth in. They came in way too big. And this is common. My ancestors, many of them come from England. And there's, a, you know, it's almost a proverb that Brits are going to have bad teeth. Well, that was me. Um, and so for years and years and years, about the only way I ever smiled was with my mouth closed. Right. I, I, I've been told it, it's, a, it's a grimace, not a smile. There was a, 
several years back, I got the privilege of, of going to see a Dallas Cowboys game on Thanksgiving uh, with Craig Wilson and his family. His father had a huge celebration there. And gosh, it was an amazing time that we were having up there. And so I was sitting next to um, Craig and Rachel's son, Jacob, and he had a big old smile on his face and they took a picture, right? And I thought I was smiling, but I have that picture and yep, it's a grimace. I just really thought I was, I felt happy down underneath, but it was just a grimace, right? But now after two and a half years of wearing braces, see, see? Yeah, I know, it's good, I like it. But see, I could do this and feel terrible down here, right? That's, we do that all the time, don't we? But what I'm saying is it's the reverse. It's not what you're wearing on your face. The ideal is that I try to get, you know, what I'm wearing on my face to agree with who I really am on the inside, assuming, and again, you know, there are times when people are disagreeable. Isn't that the case, right? Um, I am naturally an impatient person. That's why it's real important for me to walk in the spirit. And I went next door to the coffee shop this morning because I didn't want to cook anything. So I just got one of their quiches. And there was somebody in front of me that just, I don't know who they were ordering for, like a party of 12 or something. You know, you've, you've been in these situations, right? You're waiting in the drive-through line and they're ordering for, you know, and bless you. Some of you have families that size and yep, that's you. Um, <laughs> but I'm like a party of one. I already know what I want, all right? When I go into a store, Pretty typically, unless I'm just wandering around to be wandering around, I already know what I want. So it's like when there's somebody at the counter ahead of you and they're just, um, and what I love are people that are not techno savvy and everything is on these screens now. And this person was going, and inside I was just like, come on, man, come on. And I started thinking, you're preaching on joy this morning, pastor. Oh, that's right, I am. Mm. <laughs> And then the other thing, you know, that unwittingly you can do is make this poor service person's life miserable, right? Um, a lot of you work in the service uh, area, you, you know, whether it's the food industry or some other industry where you have to deal with these. A lot of you work in the, the pool industry and have to deal with grumpy people. Uh, you know, you're, you're tearing up their backyard and it's not going the way they wanted it to. And so you have to deal with all that drama and trauma, right? And so this is a good message for you because it's draw from the well of joy, not this horrible circumstance and this nasty person in front of me, right? So that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to res reserve those feelings that I'm having that are in the flesh. And I'm going to say, no, I've got to fight that battle and say, you know what? That's who I was. That's who I would be in the natural. This is who I would be apart from Jesus. But guess what? That's right, I'm not apart from Jesus. I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I don't have to follow that feeling. Say, I don't have to follow my feelings. Sometimes we think that that's intuition and we think that it's actually wisdom. But what we don't want is human, we don't want human intuition or women's intuition or whatever intuition you're uh, addicted to or think you need to follow. We need discernment that comes from God's word. Amen? Amen? And that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You don't need your own human intuition because that's fallen, that's fleshy, that's frail, and it's going to fail. But if you respond to the Holy Spirit who gives you discernment in each situation, 
right? Who gives you a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. That's a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge in the midst of your circumstance. And we're going to get into this uh, in a few weeks in our study on Wednesday in uh, 1 Corinthians, because we're going to be in the section in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that talks about spiritual gifts. And what I've just been referring to are the manifestations of the Spirit, and these are a type of spiritual gifts. So um, joy is the result of your hope of eternal life. The natural in us is to follow these habits that we have. Uh, I read a book some years ago. In fact, I taught a little bit out of it. Not a Christian book, but very, very wise in terms of us understanding the natural, understanding the flesh. And um, the author of the book said that these habits that we develop, you develop good habits or bad habits. Habits are just habits, right? Your body doesn't know the difference. Your flesh doesn't know the difference between a good habit and a bad habit. It's just a habit. All right, how do you develop a habit? There's a cue, right? A trigger, call it that. And then there's a routine. This is the behavior. This is the, this is the habit itself. And then there's a reward. I'm not gonna go into the entirety of that, right? Charles Duhigg is the, uh, is the author. The Power of Habit is the book I recommend it. Not a Christian book, but a lot of knowledge there and some wisdom as well. Cue, routine, reward. Friends, we're looking for a reward. We really are. The world is tearing us apart. It's wearing us out. I can't tell you how many times a day these days I just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm just tired. <laughs> you know, uh, it's like, you remember the, the, the big character in the Green Mile? The great big guy that they, you know, they're going to execute and all that. And he says, I'm just tired, boss. I'm tired of people being mean to each other. I'm like, I'm with you, fella. I am with you. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. It just beats you down. It wears you out. That's circumstantial uh, addiction, if you will. But we're looking for a reward. So this is why people drink. This is why people do drugs. This is why people get addicted to various forms of, of, of pleasure, sexual and otherwise, because they just want a reward. They just want to feel good. They're tired of feeling so bad. Hey, can I just say this? God doesn't want you to feel bad all the time. There's a, I think there might be a temptation on some of our part to think that we just need to be martyrs for the cause, right? And while I am definitely saying you need to have a, a hope of eternal life, remember what I said earlier, you have access to that eternal life, not someday, but now. You have access to that life now. Eternal life is on a continuum, and it begins when you call on the name of Jesus and invite him to come into your life. So... When I stop looking down at the ground, when I stop looking out here, side to side, looking for something to change, something to happen, and when I start looking up and I start looking forward to what God has promised me, then I can begin to access joy and all of these other wonderful attributes now. So the ultimate reward is not found on earth but it's waiting in heaven for those who believe. And joy, as I said earlier, depends on hope. And our hope is in this gift of eternal life through Jesus. Faith is the assurance of, of that hope. Listen to what it says. This is uh, the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, which by the way, if you wanna read about faith, that's the faith chapter. Hebrews chapter what? 11, it's a faith chapter. And it starts out, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Ah, so in order to have faith, I've got to have hope, right? 
And faith is the guarantee of that hope. It's the confidence that that hope is going to come about. Amen? So when I have faith, it's the opposite of fear. I tell people all the time, stop going out and watching these, these movies or in putting yourself in a position to be inspired by fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. As faith attracts God, fear attracts the enemy. This is why I, I know a lot of us love Halloween and, you know, I get it, dressing up and all that. But, you know, if you're just, you just want to feel something and you want to go get scared, I'm just telling you, man, the devil loves to scare people. And fear is the opposite of faith. But when I have faith, I have confidence that what God has promised is going to come true. So that is in me. And once I have that, that strong confidence, then I realize that I have an eternal reward that is guaranteed. It is not going to go away. I have entrusted God with my soul and he is not going to drop me. He's not going to let me go. His love is going to be continuous. It's never going to end. Um, so finally, how can you experience joy right now, right? Well, to have joy now, as I, as I indicated just a second ago, you cannot look at where you've been, right? That's looking behind me. Trying to be happy by looking behind me. That's called nostalgia. And those of us that are older, and especially when we listen to music, we can have that good feeling, right? We're like, oh, I remember that. I found, so before I was a Christian, um, my mom always made sure that we had amazing Christmases. I don't know how she did it. She was a single mom who was trying to provide for two kids with a deadbeat dad that did not pay child support. Now, you know, you know, bless my dad, he's, he's passed on now. He finally came to faith in Jesus. But to be quite honest with you, he was a deadbeat dad. He never paid child support. So my mom was responsible for raising us. And so we didn't have a lot of stuff, but my mom always found ways to get us something really, really wonderful for Christmas. I mean, my mom, single mom, once again, no help. She bought me a mini bike when I was nine years old, right? You don't even know what that is, do you? It's like a motorcycle, but slower, all right? And I rode that thing all over the place, and I loved that thing. How did my mom do that? I don't know. I don't know how she did the, you know, those things. But Christmas was always the time we looked forward to. And so I can remember that uh, I would start listening to Christmas, uh, Christmas songs in October, I'm talking about, I'm like an eight, nine-year-old. I mean, one of the gifts that I got, in fact, I know at nine, one of the gifts that I got for Christmas when I was nine was a record player. Do you even know what that is? Yeah, older people do. Uh, that's when we had records and nothing else. We just had records. Well, what about DVDs? No. What about CDs? No. We didn't even have cassette tapes. We had records. And so I had our whole Christmas album collection. And I can still remember the record player, right? It had this, this little fold-down uh, tray, and you could stack like about six or eight albums on the top of this thing. And then you would click this thing, you'd go click, click, and then the arm would come up, and it would drop an album, and then it would go down and play it. I found those albums on YouTube. I was freaking out. I was like, I remember that. I remember that. And so now I have a playlist that reminds me of what I used to listen to when I was 9, 10, and 11 years old. That's nostalgia. But see, what I didn't know, because I didn't know the Lord, is that a lot of my favorite Christmas songs, which were not songs like Jingle Bells or anything like that, 
but were, they were praise songs. So I love the song uh, Emmanuel, okay? And it's very definitely a praise song. We Three Kings, it's definitely a praise song, right? Um, you know, pretty much many of the songs that we sing that are actually focused on Christmas and not on winter, right? Or frosty or whatever, but it's actually focused on Christmas. They're, they're praise songs. I didn't know that I was already being introduced to worship music. It was just focused on the birth of Jesus, so we called it Christmas music. So I didn't know I was already being introduced to joy even before I really knew the Lord. Isn't that cool? God tries to do this to you all through your life. So even when you look back, sometimes the moments that you remember from the past can lead you forward to where you need to be, right? The other thing we can do, we look back to try to be happy, that's nostalgia. We can look to our present circumstances and that's happiness, right? That's not really joy. Joy means that I'm looking forward to God, pulling me out of all of the present weariness and woe and pain and pulling me into a new world. And I taste that at times. I sense it at times. And as the result, I experience joy. So if you want to experience joy now, you can't look at where you are. You can't look at where you've been. You must look ahead to the promise that God has offered of where you will be. So stop looking down, stop looking around, look up and look up ahead. You don't wait for circumstances to change or look for people to change. See, a lot of times we get in relationships with people and we're, we're like, no, the, I need to change this person. Ladies, it's something you do. You think you can change us and we're a mess. It's just not possible. We're just inveterate, selfish, obnoxious men. You're not gonna change us. Jesus can change us, amen? So don't get into a relationship with some dude and say, no, I'm gonna change him. You're not. He might pretend for a while so that he can get what he wants to get out of you, but, and he might even change, he might even seek to change for a while for you, but it's not gonna last unless it is something that the Lord has done in his life. So what I need to do if I want somebody to change is I need to introduce them to Jesus, need to bring them to church, and I don't need to be in a close, intimate relationship with them until they've gone through that rebirth experience. You trust your good and loving father who sent his son to turn everything bad into good. I actively trust what is said in Romans 8.28. What does Romans 8.28 say? All things work together for the good, for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. How many things work together for the good? That mean the tornadoes? Yep. That mean the death of somebody we love? Yep. Do I know how that's gonna work out? I didn't say I did. I'm just telling you, this is the promise of God's word. All things work together for the good of those who love God. What's your part? Choose to love God and who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is to make you more like Jesus. Let's go back to the acronym. G joy is Jesus, others, and yourself. So when I'm in the spirit and I'm walking in, according to that, in accordance with that priority, I'm putting Jesus first and I'm seeking to become like Jesus, then what I'm gonna find is, He's gonna take every circumstance in my life and work it out for my good and for his glory. That's called providence. What's it called? Providence. You need to trust God's providence. Your only responsibility is simply to choose to love God. Now that's hard when you're going through some difficult circumstances. That's hard when you think God could have stepped in and done things differently. Well, he's almighty, right? He's all powerful. Of course he could have, so why didn't he? Why didn't he stop 
the, the tornadoes from ripping through the middle uh, part of the, the country? Why didn't he keep your relative alive? Why didn't he do that? I don't know, but I know he's good. Amen? God is love. We don't know love apart from God. We'll talk about that next week. That's the love candle. But the only way that I'm going to be able to dig into this well of joy is to look forward to the future. See, if I know, if I've lost somebody that I love, but I know they're in heaven, then I should be sad because I've lost them and I don't get to talk to them right now. But man, they're somewhere that I want to be. And so what I'm going to want to do is I'm going to want to find out more about Jesus and drawing closer to Jesus and make certain that I have the salvation that permits me to go to heaven and to be with that person again. And, you know, I can look around at all these bad things, but, you know, it, that can cause despair and that can weaken me and that can keep me from being a source of help and a source of light to the people who are going through these difficult times. But if I look to Jesus and I trust that God is good and I don't allow the world, the, the culture of this world that wants to make me focus on the here and now, instead of realize that there is a hereafter, if, if I choose to look away from that and pay attention to this promise that the Lord has, then I can dig into this well of joy, right? So you don't wait for circumstances to change or look for people to change. You trust your God, good and living Father who sent His Son to turn everything bad into good. And I'm going to conclude with this quote. This is not from the Bible. I've given you a bunch of Bible today. Uh, this is actually from Lord of the Rings. So at the conclusion of that story, uh, and, and by the way, read the books. The movies are just, I don't know, they rewrote the story to some degree. It kind of follows the same, and there's some similar things. But when you read the books and then you watch the movies, you kind of go, huh, okay, that wasn't in the book, and that wasn't in the book, and that wasn't in the book. Read the books. They're great, okay? So if you know the story, it's about this ring of power and the goal to eliminate, to eradicate evil in the world is that that ring of power has to be destroyed. It can't be put in the hands of somebody good because it will turn even the best people bad. Gandalf, who is like the wizard, right? He's the, the you know, the main source of wisdom in Lord of the Rings. Uh, the ring is offered to him freely. He could have just taken it. And he said, no, there's no way I'm going to take that ring because it would twist me. It would pervert me. So the, all of the good people in Lord of the Rings agreed. The only way to get rid of evil and this person that was the, the center of evil, right? Uh, Saruman, or no, Sauron. Their names are alike. I don't know why he did that. It confuses me. The only, the only way to get rid of Sauron was to destroy this ring. So Frodo is given the task of taking the ring to the crack of doom where it was made and dropping it in, and he almost doesn't do it. In fact, this little creature uh, uh, called... Gollum. Uh, right? This little creature called Gollum had to bite the ring off of his finger in order for him to actually carry it out, right? He was so enchanted by the ring that eventually he almost gave into its power as well. But finally, finally, right? Smeagol, that's the good side of him before he became Gollum, uh, bites the ring off of his finger and in the process of dancing around, he's at the edge of the crack of doom, he falls in and the ring finally is destroyed and that destroys Sauron, who is the evil guy. So then, you have Frodo and his sidekick Samwise Gamgee who end up in this beautiful land called Ithilien and they're waiting for uh, the new king to be crowned and basically everything is going right. And this is what after, 
um, Sam wakes up. Both he and Frodo assumed that Gandalf had already died. They watched him fall, chasing this evil creature called a Balrog, and they just assumed he died uh, months and months before. But they were busy trying to take the ring to the cracks of doom. So uh, Samwise wakes up, and this is what he said. Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf, and then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell on his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. Yes, friends, everything sad is going to come untrue. Amen? Amen? Count on it right now. And you will have joy in spite of what is going on in the world or what may be going on in your life. Amen?